0: Today's podcast is going to be different than what we usually do. Following this week's brutal terror attacks from the Hamas organization on 1,000-plus civilians in Israel and having over 150 Israelis kidnapped, women, children, elderly, into the Gaza Strip, a lot of people have reached out. They've asked me questions, anything from why did this happen, how is this escalated, where is this going next, how are you dealing with it, and so on. So for my audience, I did an AMA earlier today. I first read a statement explaining my situation, my personal involvement with this, what's going on with me. Then we did a workshop on how to beat your best during these kind of dark hours, not just relevant for this crisis, but in general for dark hours when there's chaos, how you can beat your best. And we ended it with an AMA where people asked all the questions they wanted to, uncomfortable ones, how long will this last? Why is this happening? What's another side? So that will be today's podcast. We're gonna share that recording. Also throughout the podcast, I mentioned several times, there are links if you wanna make a donation to help the survivors of these atrocities, to help people rebuild from the ashes. Those links you can find in the show notes below. Aside from that, let's get started. Welcome to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. How to build the emotional fortitude to win in life and in business. No fluff, just real world results. I'm your host, Ida Marmarani, ex Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent, jujitsu black belt, and mindset. Good morning, good evening, and uh, good afternoon to everyone who's joining. So, first off, appreciate everyone being here. Um, the way we're going to do this is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, I'm going to read the, what I wrote the previous week, um, I think it was Monday. And then on top of that, I'm just going to add some new things that have occurred, how things have transpired. Um, from there, I'm going to go with you guys into a little workshop. Also can understand how I'm dealing with it, how people are dealing with, it, what's the best way to deal with these kinds of situations in general, not just this specific crisis. And then we'll open it up to a general AMA, um, with the AMA ask as hard of questions as you want as difficult and uncomfortable questions as you want about whatever side of the conflict that you want, do it in whichever way you want, as long as it's respectful. Like I'm just gonna have a zero tolerance policy. Like if anyone's just trying to start a fight, if anyone's just trying to vent their emotions or make statements, this is not the place for that. Sound good. Great. So I'm going to reread, um, a couple updates. So war has entered our home over the past weekend in Israel, 1,200 innocent civilians were butchered in their homes by Hamas terrorists and over 150 soldiers and innocent women and children and elderly civilians have been abducted by the terrorist group Hamas into Gaza. The first 36 hours were the crucial ones. It is the biggest failure in Israeli intelligence since the Yom Kippur War of 1973. On a personal note, all my immediate family are safe. I also know many of the stories that have popped up since then of people and of the murders and of people that have been abducted into Gaza. To put it simply, guys, these are not scenes of war. Yes, in war, innocent women and children die. It's a horrific side effect of the chaos of war, but innocent women and children aren't personally targeted, tortured, disfigured, abducted, and butchered and filmed with a laughing crowd alongside them. That's not a side effect of war. Babies aren't beheaded and burned. The videos the videos that circulated went far beyond the horrors of war. They were in line with what you expected to see during the Holocaust. The videos and the pictures that I personally can't stop thinking about are not just of the bodies and the soldiers of innocent women being mutilated, but uh, abducted innocent babies. The two and four-year-old children who are being fucked with. Kids who I can see have the same kind of innocence in their eyes as my three-year-old son, but it's blended with this fear and confusion that a children has. There is nothing more. I would like to go and try to help them bring back by hunting and killing the barbarians responsible for this. And Sunday and Saturday were spent on the phones with my friends, both from my old special forces unit and from my time in the agency and with airlines. Like The bottom line was I couldn't find a flight back to Israel before basically today, which was also canceled. And the reality of the situation has been told by everyone on the ground is that even if I was there, I won't get priority to get drafted into reserve duty. Living out of the country, I haven't done reserve duty in a long time. And during the first and second wave of reserve call-ups, regardless of my background or willingness or desire to fight, others who are slated as both more active or of a higher rank as officers and more recently trained will get priority, which is frustrating, but is the right thing. People are trying to volunteer and join the fight all across the country, and the military simply can't take everyone in right now. And there's great. I personally feel tremendous guilt and shame about not being there. War, and especially unexpected war like this is chaos. It's devastating to me that I both can't get into the country and knowing that even if I was there, I wouldn't be given arms to fight in this round of the war. I have emotions these days that I struggle, not to channel into controlled violence. And it's difficult and heartbreaking to feel so powerless in this situation. But regardless of all that, I know that the IDF is going to win, that Israel is going to win. This was a Pearl Harbor moment for Israel. And what's going to happen next in Gaza will be of the same proportion. Like later on in this conflict, in this war, people will judge Israel for what it's going to do. Um, all those who haven't felt it will forget about the atrocities, they'll forget about the babies being beheaded, and they will judge us for the actions that we deem necessary to ensure that that never happens again. But in the later days of the war, when it's clear that we will have the extreme upper hand and we're not taking our foot off the throttle, I'll ask you that people remember the massacre, why this whole thing started, and why there's a need for what Israel is doing. USA and both the EU recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization straight and through. It has declared over the decades it does not want to talk about peace under any condition whatsoever. It's been it's blatant terms. It does not want to talk about peace whatsoever and just wants to kill the Jews. That's in their manifesto. Like when the war turns and it already has turned as everyone can see. Like remember that we entered this war with a heavy heart and a clear need to make sure this doesn't happen again. We have no desire to have innocent people die in the crossfires. However, we are absolutely not willing to let innocent women, children, and our elderly be brutally slaughtered and mutilated in their homes. We are not willing to have our babies be beheaded and burned. War has entered our home and caught us by surprise, but it will find us, and it has found us ready to do whatever it takes. And all I ask in the later days is that you remember why this all started and why there's a need to keep this going. This can't happen again. On a personal note, I felt very lost this weekend about not being able to join the fight. It's what I am trained to do. It's what I know how to do. And with all the, the fear of going into war and leaving my wife and son behind and not knowing that I will be back or not, it's what I wanted to do. And sitting on the sidelines knowing that I can't help is very difficult. With that said, this is going to be a long war. It's already impacted countless families who will need support. They will need help to rebuild themselves. So with a lot of frustration, as you guys can hear my voice and a lot of hardship. And a lot of feelings, honestly, of like some shame and guilt. I'm forcing myself to keep a very pragmatic approach about this. Like I've donated more money in the past 48 hours in the past week than I have in my entire life. And I'm not going to give myself permission to think that fighting, even though it's the thing that comes to me the most easily, naturally these days, is my only way to contribute. On a personal level, I was planning a lot of big things for Q4 in the business. And regardless of whatever feelings I have right now and frustration, I'm going to keep pushing on with them. There is a time for emotions and for digesting what happened but that time is not now like people are in need and I'm going to do as best I can to focus, to compartmentalize and whatever and do whatever is required of what I can do with this new skill of mine that I have in business to financially help those in need, to help those who have suffered to rise from the ashes It's like, it feels embarrassing and shameful. And I'm full of guilt for not actually being there in the field. And I've been relegated to this financial support role from abroad, but I'm not going to let those feelings distract me of being abuse. Like, on the business level, we're going to do bigger and better things this quarter because there's a bigger reason why. People need help. And what is not going to help is me feeling frustrated or putting my head down or feeling guilty. But what might is perhaps a financial contribution to them. Like, we're not going to sit with our hands, with our faces in our hands. We're going to do what we can. And we'll do it however we can, and we win. And we're not going to win just this war against Hamas, but this bigger fight of helping all of the people that have been affected and the country rise from these atrocities, to help them rise from the ashes. And that's my situation. I have seen a lot of my friends' friends die. Like everybody, at least their second connection level, so to speak known someone who's affected by this. Israel is a small country. Some of my teammates are inside reserve duty. I don't know what's going on with them. And that's basically my personal update. So with that, before I actually start the official kind of workshop part, I want to ask if anybody has any questions around what I just said before the general questions about this whole situation. All right, so see, there's nothing in the chat. So I'm going to go ahead and start sharing my screen. This is a workshop I created um, for a lot of the people in, around the world that are trying to contribute and help during this time and how to deal with it. And it's basically beyond just this situation. It's how to have a winning mindset during times of extreme crisis. And my hope of this is that because this is such an emotional time, and also I'm sure that you guys can all hear that I'm having an emotional, challenging time, this will get seared in, and this could help you guys, perhaps in years and decades to come. So, what's going on? Like, kind of what I read from the letter, but Israel got caught wildly off guard. It was a complete shit show, which I'm happy to explain why it happened and what I think it happened. There's been a terrorist attack on both women, children, Italy, and personally saying it's not a war. It's not a soldier versus shoulder. This is different. This is, needs to be updated. There's over 1,200 murdered. Some have been mutilated. There are videos that are being shared. There's over 150 people kidnapped in Gaza by all countries. I think there's 11 Americans, there's Germans, there's Australians. I believe there's Thai nationals. There's all nationalities there. So. The first thing I want to talk about and doing this in a very practical way is that <clears throat> there's a difference between how you act during wartime and how you act during peacetime. Those are two different things. And what I mean by that is that there are periods of chronic stress and acute stress. There are peaks where there's going to be very, very challenging situations that happen at a certain peak. And then there's times where it's just a constant feeling. Like you having general anxiety because work is challenging work is stressful that's chronic stress having an extreme event for example the first couple of weeks of covid that's acute and wartime is definitely an acute time and during acute periods of stress you act differently than you would in chronic levels of stress it's a different methodology here so during acute periods of stress it is actually not the time to process emotions it is not a time to mourn and i mean that also with covid how some people are so frustrated and grieving over their business. It is not a time to do that. It is a time to compartmentalize. It is a time to shove everything away and make yourself useful. That's the biggest part in all this, understanding this is not the time to be with your feelings. This is a time to do, be useful. So a lot of times people ask, how do I make myself useful? For me, the biggest thing is to find yourself a mission. If you feel lost, find something to focus on. Maybe the old thing that you had isn't there anymore. Okay. Find the next thing, move, find something to have a mission on. That purpose will give you a sense of direction. And also if it's not your crisis, but somebody else's crisis, you feeling someone else's pain doesn't actually help them in this time. This is not a time again for a communal mourning during these acute periods. It's not a time, sorry, for communal mourning. For me, like I said, I felt lost the first couple of days when I didn't have the ability to join the fight. So for me, what I'm doing right now, my mission is to fundraise, to educate the public, like what we're kind of doing here, and to focus on the business actually growing so we can make more and more donations. So with that, the common response I get from people is like, yeah, but I just feel so horrible. Yes, that's what it is. It's hard times. You will feel certain ways. You got to remember that even if you feel a certain way, that's what is. It doesn't mean you can't do anything. It's like you feeling bad on top of it just so you recognize it. it doesn't help anyone. And this is the hard thing. We think we share in people's pain, but it doesn't actually help them on a practical level. Survivor's guilt doesn't help others in need. Like, it's just part of the situation that you feel bad. You got to accept it and decide to compartmentalize. Again, it is not a time for emotions or fragility during acute periods. And this is where it sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Like, if you want to be useful in the darkest hour, you will need to be in your best for everybody, for yourself, and for others. You have to be, you have to strive to be at your best in your darkest hours. You have to take responsibility over yourself to be at your best. And you can't pity yourself. You decide to not allow yourself to slip into a rut. This is a big thing. You have a decision always. It's a harder one to make during these times, but you still have that power and that decision to make. Like On a personal level, this is how I'm taking responsibility over myself. I'm maintaining my daily workouts. I'm still working out. I'm still doing the regular things I would do. That's something that I can always do. I don't have to rely on somebody else. I can work out. I'm still eating on a schedule. I have no appetite these days, which it's not something I ever remember. And I'm just eating on a schedule. I have a clock. I know when I eat, and that's what I do. I'm keeping in daily contact with my loved ones, trying to support, trying to stay in touch, also with my other friends that are My best friend from childhood is also from Delta Force, like our version of Delta Force, and he's in New York, and just keeping contact with him because we're both feeling this challenge. And the big thing is, is no scrolling to feel outraged. It's like, I know the severity of what's going on in Israel right now. There's no practical need to collect more information. Emotionally, of course, I'm drawn to see what's going on. Of course, I'm drawn to like, be outraged to see the videos, to see these atrocities, to see the photos, but as far as actually being useful, there's a point in, it's called decision-making theory, where you collect information, you have enough information, it's a time to act. And a lot of people in these crises, you guys all saw it in COVID, that people just were on their phones all the time, looking at data, instead of actually focusing on, okay, I know what's going on, I know what I can do, and now let me do something about it. I think that's a big part. Organizing additional information after a certain point doesn't help you. It actually hinders you from actually being able to be of use. And with that, I want to get into this part about there's a difference between tangible impact and feeling impactful. Those are two different things. And it's important to be very aware of that. Most people are not doing things because they're not wanting to help, but just because they're not aware of what's going on. So in this example, this is how you make an actual impact like writing to a senator in the States is much bigger than just posting on Facebook that I'm outraged. That's going to make a tangible impact with support to Israel with funds and so on and so on. Rallying donations for the aftermath makes a bigger impact than arguing with idiots online or arguing amongst ourselves. Being like, oh, wow, this person said this, this person said that. Myself, like how I'm trying to make an actual impact. I'm doing workshops like this to help empower others to make more impact. I'm doing the emails in the AMA, you guys have saw. I'm trying to galvanize other entrepreneurial communities that I'm a part of. Like I'm part of EO. I'm part of other ones as well. And we're doing that as well. Um, personally, I'm donating more money than I ever before. And the one that feels the most awkward, I would say, but I still know is the right thing to do is that we're setting very aggressive business goals so that we can make a six-figure donation possible in Q4. It's like Me being outraged and shutting down the business doesn't help. It feels awkward, but it's still the right thing to do to actually make a difference. And I think an important thing to remember, and like this is what I've had to tell myself, is that even if you can't be part of the fight, you can help rebuild. And this goes for every situation of chaos. Like in COVID, a lot of us, there was nothing we could do about the government regulations, about shutting down businesses. There's no way to fight that. However, you can prepare yourself to rebuild and win from there. So, as a kind of a side tangent. How to send messages of support to people in difficult times. And this is a big thing that a lot of people messaged me just like the past day that I came in. We just didn't know what to say. So, here's how you do this very simply. These are first of the things you do not do. Do not put your emotional needs, sadness, or need for clarity on others who have it much harder than you. People who are in the thick of it. You have emotional needs. They have it harder than you. Accept that. Do not do that. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm just so worried for you. Do not do that. Like Lift them up. Do not inadvertently take anything away from them. Only empower and strengthen them. And also here's a simple template how you can send people messages of support. Hey, whatever your name is, just wanted to send a message of support. We are all with you. If there's anything you need from tactical things to someone to talk to, I'm here. Absolutely no need to reply. I know you're busy with more important things, sending you strength. Notice how we're here there's no open loop. I'm not asking them a question. I'm not asking for them to keep me on their, in their head. They can focus on whatever they need to focus on. Just, like, just so you know, I'm just strengthening you. Don't need anything. Don't even need a reply. Don't need an acknowledgement. Just do you and go do you. Now, on top of that, you need to expect that during these times, you will go through emotional waves. Ups and downs. Like Emotional waves are expected, but this is where I'll say this very truthfully. They're not a valid reason to stop. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you can stop being of use when you are in need. It's like, it is not that time now. There will be a time to process and mourn. And I think it's important to tell you so that there will be a time for that, but that time is not now. Now is the time for doing. And I think in order to do that, it's a combination of both having the emotional discipline to not let yourself spiral and not give yourself permission to spiral while also building a support structure as a kind of scaffolding to hold you up when you feel like falling at times. That scaffolding, like I talked about, for me, it's the daily workouts. That's a pillar for me. It's also having, like, my wife's been an amazing support system for me. Having some friends. But that's a scaffolding. Like, it first comes from you deciding that is the time I'm going to be emotionally disciplined. I'm going to be the best version of myself that I can. And I'm going to have some support. So, (laughs) this is the stuff that you got to hold off until peacetime sometimes. All that processing. Like I do think it's very helpful during these times to know that there will be a time for everything else to process, to mourn, to come back together, but like that time isn't now. There's a story, also like that. sorry. So when I did this yesterday for another group, somebody asked me, How do I know that time when it's going to be? And the reality is that you don't. You have to accept that. There's a story about Stockdale. Stockdale was the highest ranking um, naval officer, the U.S. naval officer that was captured as a POW in Vietnam. And he said that in the POW camps, the people that died were the optimists. These were the people that were saying, oh, when summer comes around, we're going to get released. And summer came around, they didn't get released. He said, oh, when Thanksgiving comes around, we're going to get released. And they didn't get released. He said, oh, but when Christmas comes around, we're going to get released. And they didn't get released. And their spirit crumbled. And in his words, they all ended up dying of a broken heart. This is not the time to say, I'm just going to hope I'm going to get there and then get crushed when it doesn't happen. It's like, I've said this in various manners. In this place, it brings more true than anything. But like, you have to choose resilience over positive thinking. During hard times, it's time to be resilient. Resilient. Not to say I'm just going to be positive in hope because your hopes can't get crushed by the world, but your resiliency is something that you can control. So, to kind of recap, don't give yourself permission to get stuck in a rut. That's the truth of it. Create a support structure for yourself with preferably as many things as you can control as possible. So, what I mean by that, you doing a workout by yourself is bigger than saying, I'm going to support, I'm going to lean on this person. The more things you can be self-sufficient in, the better. Find a mission. Focus on what's effective instead of what gives your emotions space. If you want to be of use. If you actually want to help, that's what you got to focus on. What's actually effective. Only send messages to strengthen. So I saw a video um, by uh, a soldier in the reserve duty that he just posted. And... He was basically talking about the situation, and he basically said, like, for all those in the, we're in the front, for all those in the back, let's know that we're protecting you and stay strong. And for all my brothers in arms, stay stronger. That's what it is. Expect emotional waves, but decide not to let them bring you down. It's a decision. It's a hard decision. It's more challenging to make that decision, but it's still a decision especially during these times. Hold strong until peacetime. And again, at the end of the day, be effective, be useful, and decide to be at your best during the darkest hours. This goes for what's happening right now in Israel. It went the same thing for COVID and for all the crises we're going to face in the future. Personal, business, everything. And if you're in doubt ever about what to do, Simply ask yourself, am I acting in a way that I'll be proud of in hindsight? That's your simple question. When you're in a mode of crisis, you don't know what to do. You're not sure if I should do A or B. Simply ask yourself that. Am I acting in a way that I'll be proud of in hindsight? And that's kind of wanted to talk about. But also, I don't want to add one thing, especially on this call, because I know a lot of you guys are entrepreneurs. Identity is a powerful thing. If you see yourself as a weak individual who's an emotional individual, you'll gravitate towards that. You'll be a weak and emotional individual. However, like everyone here, probably, like you're an entrepreneur. Like you're able of having limited emotional responses, they call it, compartmentalizing. Like you can deal with chaos and mayhem. You're cunning. You're a doer. You're strategic. And you're a fighter. And in the hard times, you've got to remind yourself of that shit. That this is who you are and this is what you're capable of. It's like, Remind yourself that this is who you are. And this is the part of you that you're going to lean into for now. And the other parts are going to be mentalized aside. There will be a time for those other sides. But that time is not now. So that is the presentation I wanted to prepare for you guys. Um, that's one thing. So first off, I want to ask if anybody has any questions about the presentation, uh, please write them in the chat and I'll kind of like bring you up also just into the zoom, Um, then we'll open general questions. But before that I want to say just one more thing to all the, all the parents out there. So, Hamas is um, releasing some pretty, it's pretty horrible footage of what they're doing to the captives, what they've done to the captives. Um, And if you have children that are on TikTok, on Instagram, or whatever it may be, like just don't give them their phones for the next couple of days. Like the TikTok, from what I am understanding, it's already infiltrated. Even if you have no interest in this kind of stuff, it's already infiltrated their, their homepages of people's algorithms or whatever it is. Like it's something to be very, very cautious of. These are things that will scar grown adults and can do even more to children. So that is something just as a note to all the parents. With that said, guys, um I'll open it up to any QA. If there's people here that want to ask something live, I'll answer that first. We've also got a couple questions about emails, but um again, like I'll ask any uncomfortable questions that you want about why this started, how this started, uh whatever side of the conflict, the war, whatever you want to do. Um as long as you do it respectfully, I'll my best to answer it so who has the first question guys okay so Scott wrote i found myself feeling like scrolling social media is obviously harmful and i feel powerless to stop it should i just block everything yes like just don't be on your social like i think it's a big part of it to recognize like you will get drawn to this kind of stuff it's more powerful than ever it's like this is where you got to decide um, like and Al-Mog also wrote. Talking of social media and news, I haven't been able to disconnect. As an Israeli, the urge curiosity is massive. I know it's in my control, but I wonder if you have more advice. So the way I look at it this way, it's like in a the frame I choose to look at it is this way: you have an ability to do something, like Al-Mog everybody here, to contribute in some way. To take actions that will contribute to people that had their homes burnt, that have their lives basically burnt down. Every moment that you decide to scroll the news, instead of doing that, you're playing into Hamas's hand. You're not just not doing something effective, you're just wasting your time and your energy. It's like you only have a certain finite amount of energy and time, and you choosing to do that on that is an actual decision that you're not aware of that you're making to not do actually something productive. And that's why I say, find a mission. If you don't have anything to attach, to attach onto, and you just have all this free time in the world, you will get drawn onto that. It's similar to entrepreneurs that have no clear about what they want to do. So everything is just a shiny object. It's the same thing here. It's like, find yourself a mission, a target, and then focus your energy towards that. Let me see this in the chat. If that's clear, that helps. Ernest wrote, what does a win over Hamas look like? So I can give just my my assumptions. I'm not a statesperson. I'm not a spokesman. I don't really know these things. Um, But from what I'm reading, a win over Hamas looks like a return to pre-Hamastan Gaza, let's call it. So I don't remember exact dates here and everything. So apologies for that. But basically around the mid-2000s, Israel committed a unilateral withdrawal from Gaza. They said, you know, we're going to give this a shot for peace, and we're just going to unilaterally withdraw all our troops from there. Up until then, Gaza was a place that had Israeli patrol, Israeli military there, and that's why terrorists weren't able to run the whole place and turn it into their own kind of country. And in an effort for peace, they withdrew. And the hope was that when that happens, people will be like, oh, what? Israel is giving a, a clear branch, branch, olive branch here. I'm going to follow suit, and that obviously didn't happen. And it could very well be that a win over Hamas looks like retaking over Gaza and eradicating them from being able to control the populace there and from being able to control the whole situation there. That could be one possibility. And from what I'm hearing from what I saw from the Minister of Defense, who's was a former general himself, he said, we're going to change what Gaza is. And that's what I'm assuming that is from. there will probably be a retaking over of Gaza to liberate not just the Israeli people from Hamas's fear, but also the Palestinian people as well. Like Hamas was elected into power in the mid-2000s as well, from what I remember. Basically, in Gaza, there were two big fractions. There was the Fatah and the Hamas. And the Fatah was the more let's call it tame um the more conservative party and it was backed it was kind of supported by the states and israel as a person the people we would like to have there to negotiate a peace with and the u.s wanted to make sure that everybody saw their legitimacy so and a legitimate election was organized and basically i remember it like seeing on the news that at like 6 p.m., the pre-election polls came in and the Fatah had all thought they had like an overwhelming victory and they were celebrating in the streets. And then when the actual um, results came in, Hamas had won by a landslide. I think the people in Gaza back then were very frustrated about their situation and they thought someone new and different was going to be the person that helped them. Um, but since then... I'll put it very simply, Hamas has not done good by any of the people there. They put their military facilities inside hospitals instead of taking concrete and other materials to rebuild. They built tunnels. And I think that's going to be a big part of a win over Hamas, basically eradicating Hamas. And that's what it looks like. It's like that whole tick for tack, you do this, we do that. notion of before these atrocities, I think is out the door and it's not going to be like how Netanyahu, our prime minister, said, this is not an escalation. This is not another incident. This is war. And that's what I think we're going over Hamas will end up looking like. And honestly, what I personally hope, despite the losses that will occur. Um, Sam wrote, you mentioned having some thoughts on what you think will happen next in the conflict. Can you share some context? So... That was basically what I just said right now. I think there's the old status quo is broken. Let's put it that way. Very simple that they do a terrorist attack. We retaliate like this, like, it seems like all the old rules have been taken out and we're saying, we're not playing by these rules anymore. Like once you behead babies that goes out the door and. That's what I think is going to change everything. Um, James wrote, Israeli intelligence is the best in the world. How could this have gone unnoticed? It's a great question that I don't know. Um, I can give my my perspective on what possibly could have happened. So Israel has been in a state of political volatility for the past six months. There have been mass protests of like 100,000 people in the streets every weekend. There is a big internal conflict between the what was the current government and the opposition so basically benjamin netanyahu um, was found for what was put on trial for certain areas of fraud and a way that he was able to basically save himself from going on trial was to basically form a coalition government because the israel is not a bipartisan like the u.s you have to actually form a coalition in the parliament and get the majority of seats and he was able to form a coalition with some of the Of the lowest of the lows, let's call that. People who have never served in the military, people who are just ignorant in so many ways, and they tried to basically appeal um, parts of the Constitution. And basically, they were threatening to start a slippery slope from turning Israel from a democracy into a possible dictatorship by saying they can overrule the Supreme Court in some ways. That's one thing. So a lot of the people that are in the opposition camp that are in these protests, they're the spear, they're the tip of the spear of the Israeli military. They're the air force pilots, they're the special forces units, they're the, they're the people that are at the top of this stuff. That's one area of distraction. Another area of distraction is that some of those people that are in the government with Benjamin Netanyahu, they have never served in their life. They have never actually contributed in their life, but they're religious fanatics. So. They decided that for them, the biggest, most important thing is to show presence inside the West Bank and basically cause a lot of them to spark a lot of things there. And because they're constantly causing issues there, the military has to be there in the West Bank in order to basically de-escalate certain things or just keep a watch. So its attention was also on the West Bank on top of that. In my whole lifetime, I've never heard such a disjointed rhetoric in the nation and of so many people, again, the tip of the spear of the military, just saying we're not going to do reserve duty anymore if this government keeps going. And I think Israel was in a very fragile place because the intelligence community was probably in a fragile place because of the leadership or the lack thereof of the country. And I think that's a very big contributing factor and beyond that though that's all I can surmise I don't know actually behind the scenes of the intelligence so like James I hope that answers your question um Kenny wrote itamar thanks for sharing your intimate experiences and tying back on a personal and business perspective the entrepreneur identity savings were powerful for me how did your time with Israeli forces prepare you psychologically for dealing with a situation like this where you can't be directly involved. Your emotions were reading your writing. Showed their frustrations visibly. Resilience and endurance. That's really the way I would say it. It's like the biggest skill that I think I learned. Through all my training. Through everything. Is the skill to endure. That Like this is going to be a long thing. This is going to be a tough thing. I'm not trying to keep a positive mindset about it. I'm just not willing to get broken by it. And I think that's the difference, like, that's the mindset that I got from that. It's like, I'm having a hard time as you guys can all probably hear and see. And it's like, I'm not just trying to cheer myself up or make myself happy. I'm just saying, you know, this is going to be a hard time. It's like I spoke to my father the other day and I'm, and I'm like, how are you doing, dad? And he's like, it is what it is. It's going to be hard times for a while. It's exactly what it is. And I think that's the biggest thing like in entrepreneurship and business, all all, like in this situation that I think the special forces prepared me for that. I don't feel like I have to be positive in order to keep going. I don't have to be in a good mood to keep going. And that's the biggest thing that I think is helping me right now. Like even when I feel like shit, I'm going to be of use. I'm going to do whatever I can. That's just what it is. Hope that helps Kenny. anyone else have any questions? <laughs> Fuck, that's, that's a hard one. Mark wrote, um, what kind of conversations have you had with your son? So my son is three. He's not three yet. So I haven't had any conversations with him. I've been actually trying to to compartmentalize and when I'm around him, not let him Understand that I'm in a certain mood or that things are going on. Like, there's no value in that. But, like, every time I see him and I pick him up, it's just wild to me to to imagine that he could have been in Gaza and they could have been, I could have been helpless, like some other families, to see the videos of terrorists just toying with their kids. Like That was the hardest part for me, just seeing there was one video of a girl, she looks like she's maybe a year and a half or two, and she's just confused and terrorists are just playing with her. And that's been like for me the hardest part when, when I pick him up or when I play with him and realizing that that's a reality for some people. So I've not had a conversation with him. I'm trying to shield him from this. It's something that we'll have at a later stage when you can understand. So, yeah. Mike S wrote, it's so hard to believe that the best intelligence agencies in the world could not see what was happening. I can't shake off the feeling that some kind of coup, but didn't want to go into conspiracy theories. So honestly, I don't think it's a conspiracy. There's no. What I honestly think also happened here is that Hamas didn't actually expect this to go that well. I think this went beyond their wildest dreams of what a successful operation like this would look like for them. And in a weird way, they bit off more than they wanted to chew. Like the last time they did this, I think they kidnapped two soldiers. And that was a big bonanza for them that they felt could tilt things in their favor in a lot of ways. And if you guys, anyone saw the videos, it's it looks like a lot of people from Gaza just came in and kind of ransacked. There was 1,500 bodies of terrorists already found in Israel. This was not a small group of like the tip, only the tip of the spear of the Hamas commando. As soon as the defense broke, a lot of people came through and they ransacked and they murdered and they brutalized. And it just, I think Hamas also in some ways did not understand what they were getting themselves into. <sighs> Sam wrote, you describe the situation as a failure of Israeli military intelligence, as have many others. Is it naive to think that occasionally things like this happen and it's not possible to completely, um, probabilistically speaking, prevent every organized attack? Is it too fast, too quick to assign blame? It's a hard question. Um, I think you can't prevent all the attacks However, you do need to construct circles of defense in regards to the level of the risk. And I think there was a big failure here to understand the risk that was coming from there. And the resources, like I said, were not in the right place because like all the attention on the West Bank and there's finite resources. So I think regardless if you can't foresee any extreme threat or like extreme situation like this there just wasn't there, there just wasn't like a big enough let call it like a moat if you will to basically nullify or at least block some of that danger and that's the big issue that i think was a big failure even if forget about the intelligence failure about not being able to foresee this but just not having something in place to block this kind of potential attack that's what I think is a big, big failure. And that's why there's a lot of frustration over the bullshit politicians that were doing all that nonsense in the West Bank because all that attention and all those forces that were there are usually in the South. So I hope that answers that. Um, Who has the next question, guys? All right, so before I answer the next one, I want to pop something into the chat here. So... There's two. These are two links. If anybody wants to make a donation, these are groups that are primarily giving to the restoration in the aftermath, um, for the families, for the for the orphans, um, anything from helping them because again a lot of them got out of their homes with bullets in them. They don't have any clothes. They don't have any food. They're going to have to rebuild in so many ways. Um, Anything from helping them with psychological support for the next years to just food right now to close to helping them rehabilitate themselves. So those links are in the chat right now. Um, if you want to give whatever you want to give as small as it is, as big because it, it doesn't matter. That's in the chat. Um, Max asked, will real peace ever be possible? I don't know. It's like, and it, it's a shitty situation. It's a shitty situation for everyone. It's like it's a very complex situation as well. A question like I've gotten a couple of times is why did Israel take the Gaza away from the Palestinians? Like very few people know that Egypt controlled Gaza from 1948 until 1967. And Jordan controlled the majority of the West Bank and half of Jerusalem until 67 as well. Like it's a very complicated situation that no one's been able to figure out yet. There's a friend of mine joked once, like they're handing Nobel Prizes to whoever can try to figure it out. It's a very shitty situation. There's a lot of, It's also like it snowballs where there's more and more hate on each side. Now, with that said, like what I do think is objectively true is that Israel has tried to make peace. Whether it was with the example of the unilateral withdrawal or with looking at its history of making peace and making concessions in order to have peace with Egypt or with Jordan. And I'm not talking about the Palestinian people. I'm talking about the leadership of Hamas right now. They unequivocally have it in their charter that they do not want to talk about peace under any conditions whatsoever. They're not willing to say, like, even if we get 99% of Israel, we're okay with that. They say we want 100%, we want to wipe all the Jews off the earth. So as long as that regime is in power, I don't think peace is possible. Yeah. So again, like the links there, I just want to also like make a point of this. A lot of people have an emotional need to feel like they're doing something and they want to contribute. And again, as far as being effective, there's things that are more effective to help in the long strategic vision of this rehabilitation process. And there's things that are less like also be careful about what links or where you choose to donate, because there's also a lot of scams going on. Like both from the Hamas' side and from just general horrible people that are opportunists. It's like these are links that are going to help people in the long run. They're not just going to be wasted on nonsense money just because people want to do this or whatever it may be for the soldiers to make them feel better. But like this is the stuff that's actually going to make a lasting impact for those that have been affected the most. Again, those links are in the chat. (laughs) Anybody else have a question, guys? Marion wrote, "What can a civilian without military training do in such a catastrophe situation to save his family?" Um, it's a tough one. It's like honestly, it's like you can't do much if you're being, if your home is being ransacked by dozens of terrorists with heavy, heavy artillery. There's not what you can do. Like that's the sad part. Those people in the, in the kibbutzim. The villages near the south of Israel, mm-hmm. there are some tough individuals. A lot of them are ex military, a lot of them have training. And those who aren't the people that the kind of people that choose to live in those areas, they're built from a certain cloth and they are tough individuals, they are hardened individuals. And even with that, there's not much you can do. It's like if like that's the job of the military to protect the soldiers, to protect the civilians, sorry. Like that's my honest heartbreaking opinion on this. Anybody have any other questions, guys? And it, this is something that also somebody asked me yesterday, so I'll bring it up. Somebody asked me how do I feel about the the innocent people in Gaza that are getting hurt? Like it sucks. War is shitty. War is chaotic. There's innocent people that get hurt in war. It's what it is. Always been like that in war. Now, with that said, it's like there's a difference between innocent people getting killed as an as an undesirable byproduct. It's kind of like a necessary evil of war, so to speak, and them being targeted. Put in a room and butchered down and shot from point blank and butchered and mutilated. Like, my stance is kind of what I said in that email and what I read at the start of this call. Like, war is hell. But, like, we're not willing to let our innocent people be purposefully butchered. And if that's a byproduct, that's a byproduct. An unfortunate one, but it is what it is. Does anybody have any other questions? This can be not just about the situation, but also like just how to deal with these kind of challenging times in general. What kind of mindset will it take, El Mogas, for Israelis in the world to deal with hostages being executed? it's a hard question it's it's an understanding that like I think we live I think it's going to burst certain bubbles for people like we think we live in this ultra sheltered ultra nice part of the world these days Like, the world is harsh there's some atrocities going on from Ukraine things in Africa that are happening things in Myanmar that are happening and it's like Life can be very hard, sometimes it can be very dark. And I think it's just accepting that like it is what it is in some ways. That might happen. But again, it's like one about resilience and endurance. Like if Israel was formed off the back of the Holocaust, and if we survived the various wars in Yom Kippur. Israel will survive this. Anybody have any other questions, guys? Alex wrote, thank you for creating this space. Pleasure, Alex. Sam wrote, hate can be a a really powerful motivator. As you said, it passes back and forth in situations like this. If you feel hate, do you aim to eventually get through the hate? You may feel or Hamas and find some sort of peace or forgiveness on the other side of it. So it's a great question. It's a, it's an interesting philosophical one. I'll answer with a pragmatic approach to it. I don't think there's value in maintaining hate, but I also think there's no value in foolishly hoping that certain parties will relinquish it. It's like, Sam, you're a very evolved individual. You recognize that. Not everyone is like that. And I think there's a certain um, reality where we can't be naive about this. And like, we, I think that's what we try to do in a lot of ways. Um, like the unilateral withdrawal, all these kind of things to kind of de escalate the hate, so to speak. However, when you're dealing with an organization, and again, I'm differentiating all the Palestinian people and Hamas as two different things. When you're dealing with an organization like Hamas, who says unequivocally, we do not want peace under any conditions. We're not willing to talk about peace under any conditions whatsoever. We just want to kill the Jews. That's the people where you can't hope for this to to dissipate. It's not going to happen. And I think the only path possibly to find some sort of peace is going to have to be with a change of leadership. It's like in World War II, there was no way of saying, okay, let's just de-escalate things with Hitler and the Japanese, the Axis, and just hope that it kind of pieces out this is kind of a similar situation. Like The the level of evil that was displayed on Saturday morning in the south of Israel is not something that I have seen in my lifetime. And I think that needs to be clearly understood. Like, those are not people that are wanting to de-escalate and just find a peaceful solution and are frustrated. And that's why they're going to war. Their desire was not to take over some territory. Their desire was to butcher people. And that I think on a very like philosophical level, that would be amazing if that was the case. But on a pragmatic level, like what history taught us, what other wars like World War II have taught us, it's like sometimes peace has to come through war. Like I have a lot of friends in Germany these days. I have a lot of great people that I know in Germany these days. Like that still had to happen in 45. Mariana, Marianne ask: do you think that it's possible to be such massacres in Europe where a lot of Muslim communities? I think it's a lot more challenging. It's always a possibility. There's also like this, what's important to understand there's a difference between a random terrorist attacker an organized terrorist cell, a terrorist organization, and a terrorist country like let's call like like Iran. It is always possible that, especially in these days, somebody who's anti-Semitic, who's extremist, whatever it may be, they see this on TV, they get excited, they decide to take up a knife, take a gun, and go shoot up a synagogue, or go shoot up a church, or just shoot up a bunch of people. That's always a possibility. What happened here? It was basically one tier down from an organized country attacking another country. So it's not like Iran attacked Israel, but Iran trained these people to attack Israel and help them coordinate the whole attack. That's going to be harder to pull off in Europe. And it was easier to pull off in Hamas in Gaza because Hamas has complete control over that. And it can build its its infrastructure there to train people to coordinate things and so on and so on. And I think that's a part of why I was saying. I think the solution is going to be that they're going to try to eradicate Hamas out of Gaza, because that just gives more and more room for this stuff to happen. So I hope this answers that question. Um, Neil wrote, without being insensitive in your opinion, how is this going to impact business and commerce in Israel and the world? The world, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure Israel is big enough to make an impact on the world, truthfully in commerce, as far as Israel, it's, it's, it hurts. It's like businesses, it's like COVID, but worse. Like businesses have been shut down for a while. Um, the shekel, the Israeli coin has um, has taken a big hit, which always hurts the economy. There's going to have to be a lot more money put into both the war effort right now and the rehabilitation of everything. Um, and you got to remember the fact that like, Israel is a tiny country. I think the whole population is around 10 million right now. And like imagine if just like there's 10 million people and all those areas in the South got completely destroyed. Just like that GDP. It's, I know for some of my friends who are entrepreneurs in Israel, like some of them, their businesses have already been like, we were not going to make it. There's no way we're going to make it. We just don't have that kind of runway for a restaurant or for a bar or whatever it may be. And it's a very, very tough situation. And I think people are going to hurt. And this is also why why I'm trying to raise a lot of funds and keep whatever I can going. Like Israel, again, I want to make this clear. Like those attacks that happened in the south of Gaza, it's like those are two and a half hours from my house. You can drive from where that was in the south of Israel to the north of Israel in about six hours. Like Israel is a tiny place. So, this kind of thing, it's not that. It's a giant country like the United States, and it was just this little pocket, like that little pocket would be like as if it was the whole state of Texas in the States, just to give perspective. So I hope that answers that. Ernest wrote, should IDF maintain discipline to abide by rules of engagement if you have a baby killer in your sights? Or does one do what troops did during World War II when they crossed SS troops? My anger wants all of them extinguished. Um, so the IDF is already changing some of the policies. So people I think are not aware like people are saying Israel is laying a siege to Gaza and da, da da it's like Israel used to support all the electricity and water to Gaza they used to actually provide all that to Gaza and we've just shut it off there's also like being an Israeli soldier in the when I was in active duty it was the second Lebanon war and in my unit a lot of people died it was we went into Lebanon Lebanon had a very it's like a very thick kind of bush and a lot of people died there and there was all this frustration of like why are they sending people into the bush instead of just napalming this whole fucking place and a big reason that we were explaining this is the purity of arms. You don't want to kill innocent people even in these kind of situations and it was a very frustrating thing to hear as a soldier at times and in Gaza it's also there were certain policies that were very frustrating as a fighter. There was a policy called knock on the roof. So, knock on the roof was that you, like Hamas, as a strategy, puts itself inside civilian populace, inside civilian buildings, hospitals, whatever, schools, children's schools. And Israeli intelligence would know if there's a big Hamas thing there, whatever it may be, stockpiles, people, headquarters. Yeah, right. So, it would. Before it was actually going to bomb the building, it would do what's called a knock on the roof, where either it drops a small, like, like basically, like, I don't know how to explain this, but like a pellet on the roof to make a big noise so everybody knows they need to evacuate, or actually call people because they can figure out their numbers. They're going to call them and say, hey, we're going to bomb this place. We need you to know this. We need you to evacuate. You have three minutes to evacuate in order to not harm civilians and not have them get in the way. And obviously, that would also give a lot of space for the terrorists to actually evacuate and take whatever they need to. And it was extremely frustrating. And that's one of the policies that I've heard the one of the senior Air Force officials say, like, we're not going to do knock on the roof. This is wartime. And so things are changing. Uh, yeah. And the, things are changing. Al Almog asked. Sorry to harp on a really difficult point, Amar, and feel free to skip this, but as Israel is trying to balance two sacred values to us, and you talk about values in your training, security for its innocent and bringing back civilians alive, how will public support in Israel deal with terrorists, threatened to execute mothers and children, and then doing it if attacks aren't stopped, it would be a political nightmare to try to convince Israelis that this is an acceptable sacrifice, catch 22 to the extreme, how does a leader make such decisions, benefit of the greater good? Again, feel free to skip this. You don't have all the answers. I'm just wondering your thoughts on this as a mindset coach, where there are literally no good options. I think, again, this is just my opinion and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything beyond my opinion. I think a part of, I'll put it this way, there was a theory that like they had, and like, I think it was Harvard university that came up with it originally. They said, you know, in order to help the president of the U.S., for example, make sure that he, he understands the consequences of what he does whenever he wants to fire nuclear missiles. What we're going to do is we're going to implant the, the nuclear launch key inside the chest of a human being. And that human being is always going to be around the president holding, carrying a big knife. So if the president ever wants to nuke someone, he has to first take the knife, cut the person's chest open, and actually take the key from there. So he can feel what it's like to take a knife. So he's not he's not emotionally distant from what he's doing. And what a lot of generals said in response to that like that is absolutely the worst idea possible. You have to be emotionally detached in order to actually make correct decisions. And I think that's the hardest part about leadership. It's like, if anyone here saw the film Oppenheimer recently, like, they were talking about it. I think it was Truman who dropped the bomb. It's like, it's a fucking horrible thing to have to live with. But I think leadership is hard. And I think also the Israeli people, aside from those families and those affected by it, I think they also feel like we can't keep going on with this kind of, you take a hostage, we'll negotiate back. It's like, like something has to completely change. I think this is... uh, A before and after moment for israel and i think the leadership understands that and from what i've seen from their actions so far it seems like that is the case so i hope that answers your question i'm going to keep answering a couple more here in the meantime guys like here are the links again if you want to make any donations to help those to relief um Nicole wrote, if Hamas is eradicated, is there another terrorist organization primed to step in to take its place? So there is there's the Islamic Jihad. Um, there are others, but it doesn't mean that if Hamas is eradicated, they won't be eradicated as well. Um, what happens in the void of Hamas in Gaza is a very interesting question that I don't know how to exactly explain. Um yeah, and I'll go back to Al question. So the way I would answer this like in business of like how do you make a decision when there are no good ones and they're very emotionally charged, you ask yourself like what would I recommend somebody else to do who doesn't have to feel the pain and the frustration or whatever it may be. And I think again like a lot of Israelis understand that this can't be Like how you said the greater good is what needs to happen now because there's been such a crossing of like every single fucking line. So, yeah. Any other questions, guys? Like, thank you guys for all the, like, I'm getting all of those direct messages and the emails and all that. I want to say like, first off, like, I see all the email and somebody else may respond to them. It's like, I appreciate everyone reaching out. I appreciate the support. Like, these are challenging times we're gonna we're gonna get to the other side. We already are starting to get to the other side, and we're gonna win this thing. And chip wrote um, thank you and that Ariel Shalon gave Gaza back in 2005 hoping for peace for land, and we' think there was no way to manage it. That's what it is. Um, Ari wrote thank you for holding space and sharing with us. Happy I could do it. Same from Ernest. Thank you. Anyone, is there any last question? I'm going to take one more before we kind of wrap this up. So I'll say this again, guys, like what I hope for all of you guys, some of you guys that have no connection whatsoever to Israel, like maybe this could be a, a learning lesson for life. Like when you're in a crisis, there are things you can do about it. You don't have to be a victim to the crisis. Even if you feel powerless, you can find a mission. You can choose to be at your best. You can make the effort to put yourself in a position to be at your best. And you can lean on your resilience. You don't have to hope for things to get better. You can accept the fact that you can move, that you can do, and you can contribute somehow. There's always something that you can control in this, always. There's something that you can latch onto and control and contribute. And I hope this has been helpful both in regards to the situation in israel and also for a personal lesson for yourselves guys aside from that if there's no other questions like i'm going to share the the links again in an email to everybody who's been on the call in the recording if you guys have any questions other than that please let me know aside from that like appreciate your families every time i see my son i appreciate it so much like, this has been a very harsh reminder to, to appreciate what we have. Aside from that, like I'm going to log off. And I will say this, if there's any other people that you want to share these links with, or if there's any other communities that you know want to contribute to the cause or help the cause, that I can somehow support them by doing things like this, please feel more than free to get in touch. And we'll take it from there. Aside from that, I'm going to wrap up, everyone. Have a good day. That call that you just listened to was one of the more challenging calls I've ever had to do since I've started this business. Now, since the call, people have asked a couple questions and I want to answer actually two questions that I thought were important to double down on and explain. So somebody asked, what happens if Hamas is removed? Once somebody else, just as evil, or even more evil, come up instead of them. And the experience that I would share about this is that in two thousand 17, I spent around four months in the north of Germany, in Bremen, and I was there for work, and I met some phenomenal human beings there, some extraordinary individuals that were kind, they were good humans, they were awesome people. That is with regards to the fact that in 1945, Nazi Germany still had to be eradicated in order for that to happen. So there is hope. That was an evil that had to be removed from the world, and that phenomenal people came afterwards. So, it doesn't always have to be just evil will replace evil will replace evil. That's not necessarily a fact. That's number one. Number two is, again, people are asking, aren't innocent people getting killed on both sides? I'm going to say this very bluntly war is horrible, it is chaotic. Innocent people die as a byproduct of people trying to advance their positions. There's a difference between that happening as a byproduct that's unintentional and people mercilessly slaughtering people from point blank, targeting purposely civilians, babies, burning babies alive, raping and mutilating women and children. That's a very different thing than just a consequence of war, which is innocent people die. And those are two things that I want to make a point of. Now, again, people will need to rebuild themselves. Families, communities will need to rebuild themselves from the ashes after this. And there are the links in the show notes below if this is something you want to contribute to. If it's $5, if it's $10, if it's $50, or whatever it may be. You've had some people donate $2,000, $5,000, is amazing. But whatever you can give, I'm sure the people will greatly appreciate it. Stay safe.